Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. And so um, thank you for being here. Uh, you could have been like, oh, I'm leaving, I'm out, I'm not sure what I walked into. But I hope and pray that you came because you know that God is good and God has something that you and I so desperately need. And so before I move on, um, Pastor Phil, wherever he's at, just want to say thank you. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share God's word on this pulpit. I don't take this lightly, but I'm so grateful and humbled to stand here with the elders. So thank you, Pastor Phil and our elders for the opportunity. So you're going to hear it every Sunday because this is what we do. We are in the series Summer in the Psalms. And the mission is to immerse us all in the Psalms. So when we start the service, we're going to read a psalm. We're going to sing a song on the psalm. We're going to read a psalm. And then the message that's not the psalms that we just read is going to be on a psalm. So total immersion. And here's why. Our, uh, the goals of this series is so that psalms, the book of psalms, would teach us how to talk to God. Because for some of us, it's an awkward situation. For some of us, we avoid. Or for some of us, we just kind of say, thank you, God, for this food. Or, or I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. Next time. <laughs> or the Psalms teach us how to embrace every human emotion as we relate to God. And that's really important. That's key to helping us develop our relationship with the Lord. I do want to do a quick highlight. Our resource center, which we so beautifully have in the hallway, don't miss out. Don't let it just be something that's there and you just pass by. Every Sunday, just take an opportunity to take a look at the resources that we have for you. Actually, the book that we have out there is called Reflections on the Psalms by C.S. Lewis. He didn't just write Narnia. He says, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. Wow. And I want to know that. I want to know that. I want to know that delight that made King David, the, the leader of God's people, dance. And a few favorite highlights from the book of Psalms is that the Psalms were congre congregational worship songs. So when you read it and you're like, wow, this is deep, they all sang it. They all read it together. There was no awkwardness. And these Psalms were based on real experiences, real emotions, and a real God. So don't miss out. With all of that in mind, it is my joy to share with you today's message entitled, Happiness in Forgiveness. So forgive my monotone, it's a happy message. <laughs> Happiness in Forgiveness. Yes. Have you ever experienced the joy of receiving forgiveness? Think about it. For some of you are like, nope, avoid it at all costs. When was the last time someone forgave you? When was the last time someone said, I forgive you? I asked my son this question, and he recalled this story. And I'm going to have it up for you. I'm going to try to wrap it up, make it really fast. You know that game where there's emojis up, and you're trying to guess what, it, what, what Disney movie is that? So here it is. Figure it out. Can you, can, hopefully someone's like, okay, I get it. I see what's going on here. So long story short, as my son is recalling a story about forgiveness... My son was tasked to watch Nova, Karina's dog, for a baby. 
So he's there all night. And the night's about to be over, and he calls me to tell me that he's going to come home a little bit later because he wants to finish a movie that he's watching. Oh, do you get it now? And I'm like, oh, what movie did you watch? And he says, Minions. And I'm like, again? Okay, cool. So I get a phone call after, and it's Karina. And she's probably telling me, like, oh, yeah, I'll, there's still an hour left. I'll drop him off or whatnot. And she calls me to tell me, that she was standing right there when Ezra told me that he was watching Minions. He was not watching Minions. <laughs> what movie? Was, he was watching Stephen King's It. I think it's rated R. He was 12 at the time. And I'm like mortified. My son's at your house, disrespected you, disrespected me. This is embarrassing. Rated R? That's not how we roll. We don't roll like that. So then Ezra comes home, and I, you know, like a good parent, ah, oh, you can't parent when you're angry. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it took me a long time to understand that, still trying to understand that, and I couldn't. So I wait for a couple of days, just hopefully that the spirit of the Lord would just bring upon forgiveness and shame and guilt and all that stuff. Just kidding, no shame and guilt. But you know what I'm saying. And he doesn't bring it up, so I bring it up. And we talk it out. In our house, we, um, you know, we got to own things. It's just me and him, so we have no one else to talk to, so you can't avoid things. Conflict sucks. <laughs> and so, but I want to divert it to, man, you were at someone's house. You were given the opportunity to dog sit. He loves dogs. He loves getting away from the house at times. Wonderful opportunity. They have like a PS5. They have an AC. They always have food there. It's like a great time. And I tell him, like, hey, like, you lied right in front of Karina, and you expected, you expected her to keep that for you? Like, we don't, that's, that's not okay. Where's the integrity in that? And I can go down more on that, but you can see where I'm heading with that. And so we talk it out, and I say, hey, forgiveness is just not in our home. Like, that's life. Like, it's a lifestyle. You have to talk to her about that. And he's like, so I told him, on your time, I'm going to give you two weeks, on your time. <laughs> so he goes up to her, and they hash it out, and of course, of course, there's forgiveness and whatnot. And I just asked Ezra, how did that feel? How was that experience? And, you know, this is like a year or so past, and he said, I'm so happy. I'm so happy and glad that she forgave me. And just so you know, he's dog sat several times after that. So the, really, the relationship is well, doing really well. But would it have been easier if we had just moved on from the incident? I mean, that's what we really want to do, right? We could have just squashed it, let it go, even pretend that it didn't happen. But you know what that really does? We would have just kicked the can down the road, waiting for something like that to happen again since it wasn't addressed. Thankfully, that's not what happened. We did the awkward and difficult thing by addressing the issue. Like Ezra said, he felt happy and glad to be forgiven. So I ask again, have you experienced the pleasure of being forgiven? In today's text, David is going to lead us in a wisdom psalm. Scholars believe that Psalm 32 was penned by David as, as he recalls his sin with Bathsheba and when the prophet Nathan confronts him about it. You can read all about that in 2 Samuel chapters 11 to 12, but we will revisit that later on in the sermon. 
So then, it is likely that David wrote the psalm after writing Psalm 51, which we read and sang earlier, and Pastor Danny will teach on it next week. So please come back for that. It's in Psalm 51 where David asks for forgiveness, and in Psalm 32, David reflects upon having been forgiven. So if you're willing, with an open mind and heart, let's learn about the kind of happiness that comes from being forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so kind. Thank you for your kindness. Please teach us today the blessings of forgiveness. May that truth sink deep into our hearts as we meditate on it today. Bless your word as it will not be returning void. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read Psalm 32. It's not as long as Psalm 51. But as you'll notice in the psalm, there is a word called Selah. And it's really just a musical note to pause. And so when I read and the word Selah comes on, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to pause. And it gives us an opportunity to just kind of sit in that for a moment. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as a heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. To follow along with me and help me not get off course, the outline today is simply, number one, David's misery, number two, David's happiness, and number three, David's wisdom. But before we get to the main points, and you can keep that up there, thank you. But before we get to the main points, this psalm in particular starts off with a bold statement that David pronounces. He pronounces this blessing. Verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man whom, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. At first glance, it could feel intimidating because there might be like three words there where you're kind of unsure what it means. So we'll break that down for you. But doesn't this sound familiar? Does it remind you of something? It's literally a beatitude. And someone say, oh, yeah, 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 I got you. And we know that Jesus read and quoted the Psalms. When Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount, he started with Beatitudes. 
Jesus laid out both the nature and the aspirations of citizens of his kingdom. That is what a beatitude is there is. Is there anyone here who could recall a beatitude? Don't turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm just asking. Do you know? Maybe you read it? Okay, then finish this off with me. I heard a yes over here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be. Praise God. Y'all need to read. <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall. Yes, see God. Yes, yes. It's good, Matthew 5. There's so many, there's so much good content. Read Matthew 5 when you can. Here David is telling the people of God that happy are those who have been forgiven. There is a blessing in being forgiven. The Hebrew word for blessed is esher. And what's really interesting is because English is not where it's first, the scripture is first written, we have to look back at what was the intention of these words. How did they say words like that? For those who are Filipino, you know that word gigil? Like, how do you say that in, in English? Like, I just, I don't know. It's, it's weird, right? So if you speak another language, you know that sometimes there's words that maybe in, in English, what we, what we speak here, um, can't, can't express it. So blessed, which literally means happiness, However, it's not a happiness like having a clean house before you head out of town. I mean, that makes me happy, real happy. Or when you're out with a dear friend, having a great time, Taylor Swift concert, watching Barbie, I don't know, just, you know, a good time. It's more like the kind of happiness you feel when you find out that the cancer is now in remission. It's actually happiness like the way you feel when you witness your child marry someone you totally approve and love. Or it's the kind of happiness when justice is served. It's a kind of happiness that is covered in mercy, joy, a longing granted. And in order to understand the happiness of forgiveness, we must understand the depth of our depravity, the depth of our sinful nature, the, the depth of what, what is this that causes us to not be able to be next to God. And get this, because the height of your happiness in forgiveness is dependent on your acknowledgement of the depth of your depravity. Wow. You can't receive if you don't know why, if you don't get it. Let's look at how David uses the three Hebrew words for sin to profoundly deepen our understanding of our depravity. So now, when you read verse one and two, I'm gonna teach you what it means so you can't skip over it and say, I don't know what iniquity means. You're gonna know now. So there's a word transgression, sin, iniquity, and we'll get to deceit. So transgression, which is the Hebrew word pesha, this is sin described as rebellion, a violation of trust with one another. This description of sin is a rebellion toward God or breaking a trust with God. An example would be that humanity, humanity's greatest transgression is when Adam and Eve decided to break trust with God when they decided to discern good and evil on their own terms. Want a spicier example? Yes. It's like how we humanity have decided to define what is good in regards to our sexuality and disregard what God says about it because what we think and say is better than what God has said. The second word is sin, kata. This sin is described in the way we miss the mark, a failure to uphold God's law. An example would be like the violation of a known law, 
let's look at the Ten Commandments. I won't list them all, but here's two that I know I can definitely relate to. The first one, you shall have no other gods before me. There you go, Exodus 20. Or you shall not covet thy neighbor's belongings. You said wife. It's belong <laughs> belongings encompasses all of it. Good job. I heard, I heard someone out there. The third word for sin is iniquities. Avon. I don't think I said that correctly, but Avon, Avon, not sure. This sin is a nuanced way to describe the way in which we bend, twist, and distort what is good and true. And, you, and if you think you got no mess right here, I mean, just that alone. I mean, I bend, twist. All, I, I, an example would be like the violence we carry in our minds and in actions. When we cause suffering on others, retaliation against others, like when you break check, Anyone here? Y'all don't like that, huh? When you get mad on the road, road rage, okay, just me, sorry, that's just, it just me, no one else. Praise the Lord God Almighty. Tailgating, going slower when they honk at you. Oh, I'm gonna turn a little bit slower. I'll go a little bit faster. Okay, just kidding. I know I said David used three Hebrew words for the word sin, but he uses a fourth way to further describe how we need to, or what we need to be forgiven of. And he uses the word deceit, remiah, rehemiah. <laughs> this word is used to describe the falsehood in our spirit when we minimize our sins. Quick shout out to our Gospel Connects that gave us a great picture of how we minimize our sins. And it's up here. Take a picture of it. It's, it's really actually a great resource. We minimize our sins through defending our sins, faking our sins, hiding, exaggerating, blaming, or downplaying our sins. Anyone? Yeah. It's not that bad. I didn't murder anyone. It's not that bad. It's not like I slept with him. It's not that bad. Or no, I didn't do that. You know, the gaslighters here, I didn't do that. What do you mean? It's trying to be relevant. <laughs> Do any of these ring a bell in your life? David hits all the ways in which describes the depth of our depravity. If you don't see yourself in any of that, let's have a conversation. Or you can talk with Pastor Phil. Definitely, over and over and over, I'm seeing myself in this. I hope we can clearly see our need to be forgiven and still, cheer up, thank God, because there's happiness and forgiveness. David is writing this from a personal experience of now living in the joy, blessedness, and happiness of forgiveness. So, point number one is David's misery, the result of unconfessed sin. You know, I went to bed at 3 a.m. last night, and I'm just going to share. Actually, my son told me, oh, you should tell them what you're feeling, Mom. And I was like, oh, okay, I will. <laughs> And I wasn't until I realized I need to pause because I know this is kind of like I didn't sign up for a class. You're teaching me all these things. I got lunch later. When it comes to forgiveness, and I was talking about it with Pasha Phil, the hard part about that is you want to gloss over it because it requires someone to own up. And that's hard, right? You're just like, you want to like laugh about it, defend it, or pretend, gaslight yourself. Like it's, you know, and that's hard. I get it, I'm, I'm right there with you. So stay with me, stay with me. I just pray that this really goes into deep soil. So point one, David's misery. The result of unconfessed sin. 
He says here, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through the groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And here it is. So sound, you want to get ready? Here it is. David is sharing his own experience of what happened when he had unconfessed sin. This begs a question. So what's David's unconfessed sin? Tell me already. Can't have no idea what you're talking about. But before I share the story, we're going to just set the mood. <laughs> this is David's song right here. This is David's song. If you didn't know, it's a story about adultery and murder. Usher wrote it after he read Psalm 51 and 32. It's a story of adultery and murder. King David sleeps with another man's wife. This is King David appointed over God's people. He sleeps with another man's wife, gets her pregnant, and orders for her husband to be killed in the front lines of a battle. I mean, man, we stolen people for less. We get on social media and cancel people for less. But I'd keep silent about that too. I mean, it's kind of wild, right? No? Just kidding. And according to scholars, David keeps silent on this matter for nine months. Because he has time, right? Because she's pregnant. David keeps silent on this matter for nine months. He actually keeps silent until God uses the prophet Nathan to confront and rebuke him about it. Just like my son. David is like still marinating, like, oh, what do I do about this? Well, husband's dead and, you know, it could be his child. And even though I know it's not, and David confronts him, which causes him to confess. Let's talk about David's misery. David kept silent. As a result of his silent, unconfessed sin, he experienced misery. The misery of the weight of shame and guilt of unresolved, unconfessed sin. In his hiding, justifying, and covering up, he experiences misery in these ways. David experienced physical pain. His bones wasting away. He's groaning all day long. He experienced spiritual pain. His strength is dried up, not to mention the implication of shame and guilt weighing down on him. That's messing with your mind, your, men your mental state, your emotions. And David experiences the oppression from God. God's heavy hand was on him. And we'll talk about that. Can you relate to David's misery? Have you ever felt the weight of shame and guilt because of unresolved and unconfessed sin? Why don't you go ahead, turn to your neighbor, and cut, no, just kidding. No, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I know I can. I can totally relate to unresolved and unconfessed sin. Ten years ago, old sin cat, huh? Well, ten years ago. <laughs> I was in a relationship. I know, me? Shocker. <laughs> 10 years, you guys. Praise the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> Blessed are those who are single. <sighs> it actually was an unhealthy relationship, and I was completely miserable. A large part of that misery was because of my inability to confess and make right and be open in the ways that were making my relationship unhealthy. Honestly, I knew that I was minimizing my sin. I was rationalizing it because the end would justify the means. You know what I'm saying? Physically, I felt the weight of guilt and shame as I tried so hard to do everything in my power just to get to the end goal, even if it meant I had to be deceitful 
And quite frankly, my prayers lacked joy, but were full of guilt, shame, and even just silence. Is there anyone here that can relate to that? Or just me? You see, David's misery was a byproduct of the concealment of his sin. And what probably made it even worse is that he kept on sinning instead of coming clean in the first place. Funny how that happens, huh? Kind of just keep, need to keep doing it just to cover it up even more. But the most interesting thing for me and, to make, and for me to make even more clear is that in this, David experiences the oppression from God. And you're like, I'm not sure what you mean by that. In verse 4, for your hand was heavy upon me. This part is actually really exciting for me. It's kind of weird. But it's because God wouldn't let David get away with it. God wouldn't let David get away with it. God wouldn't leave David in his misery. His hand was upon him. And this is the mercy of God. If you want to know who God is, that is God's mercy. When we are caught up in our sin and his hand would still be upon us. David's misery, which was a conviction of sin, was actually a good thing. Listen, this is a merciful act of God in this very uncomfortable, self-inflicted position. This is where David can still find himself as a child of God. His heart is still tender and not hardened to God's expectations of the righteous. And on the flip side, can you imagine being so comfortable in your habitual or unconfessed sin that your heart no longer carries the weight of broken fellowship with God? And to the singles in a room, because I'm there with you, it's like this. Wanting to be in a relationship so much or wanting a relationship to work so badly that you're willing to do anything to keep it. And let me be clear, even more clear, because you're like, mm, this is a great area, cat. Willing to fornicate, have sex outside of marriage. Willing to be deceitful in how things are going. And even willing to marry someone who does not have a relationship with the Lord or is leading you to Christ. Been there, done that, got the shirt. I understand. I say this because I'm saying it to myself. You know, when I look back at that failed relationship 10 years ago, God's mercy was on me. And I'll be forever grateful for how it ended. Even though, and this is the part that we don't want to get to, even though it totally blew up in my face. It just splattered everywhere consequences left and right. I mean, take me out for coffee. I'll tell you, it was hard. It was hard. It was dark times. But I'm grateful. Thank God for his mercy. I will be forever, eternally grateful for that. Isn't it funny that in our self-inflicted suffering through our sin, God would still come, even if it meant that we had to feel his heavy hand on us. Before we move on to the next point, I want to reiterate that when it comes to our sins of commission, the sins of our own doings, it's totally our responsibility to own up to to them. In case you're still holding back, it's our responsibility to own up to them. Unconfessed sins bring physical and spiritual misery. It brings broken relationship with God, broken fellowship with God. If you don't receive forgiveness, you will lose out on the happiness that comes from being freed from the weight of shame and guilt. And here's something for you. 
Pastor Phil often shares with us the rhythm he has been practicing, which is the prayer of examine, which is when you carve time out to pray about your whole day, and one of the ways for you to examine your day is by facing your shortcomings. If you're interested in that, it's as simple as consider your day, and they'll be on the screen for you. Reflect honestly on the moments you felt out of tune with God. Maybe it's something you said, a missed opportunity, some, some way you, maybe it's some way you wish you had acted differently. For what do you need forgiveness for? Or do you need to make things right with someone? Shout out to the late night text, hey, overshare, or hey, I'm sorry that I did this, or hey, I'm sorry I was mean when I was playing spike ball with you. Sorry, that's me. I get mean, I get really mean. Thankfully, as David recalls this miserable time in his life, he continues to share how he overcomes misery. So we're not going to stay here. Don't worry. We're not just staying here. Even though if you want to, that's okay too. Point two, David's happiness, the result of confession. Verse five and seven, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. David confesses his sin to the Lord. God forgives him and fellowship is restored. What happiness and joy of being free from the misery and weight that has kept him from being with God. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the way to forgiveness. It is in the confession of a broken and contrite heart, not a heart doing the right performative thing of confessing, but a heart that is heavy and willing to be honest before God. A heart that wants to be restored to the joy of salvation and fellowship with God. Also, did you notice how verse 5 ends? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There is zero space between the confession and forgiveness. Can we take a moment? A Selah. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for closing the gap. Thank you, Jesus. And we need to praise him. We need to thank him. I'm telling you, you are forgiven. You confess your sins. You own up. You go before God in humility. He will forgive you. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to receive forgiveness. You're probably thinking like me, not me. I've done all kinds of things. Or my life isn't, it's not there yet. Man, don't get it wrong. Don't wait all these years because thinking that there, you have to do something to get God's attention. Don't wait all that time to try to get it right. It's here. It's right now. It's Christ. He already did it. He already did it. And I feel like there's someone in here who just needs to just please realize that now. Realize that today. Realize that tonight. Realize that now because you are forgiven. And I'm sorry for... I'm sorry for what you've gone through. Yeah. I'm sorry for whatever makes you feel like. Maybe you, you know, we grow up with, with punishment and shame and we have to do things to earn. Thank you, Jesus. That's not the way it is. Our Heavenly Father's not like that. The goodness of God is not like that. It's not like that. It's not like that. 
and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. In verse 7, with forgiveness comes the restoration of fellowship, the weight lifted, the misery no longer weighing us down. David, who was silent, wasting away, groaning all day long, is now happy, blessed, joyful in the forgiveness that has been granted to him. There's freedom, freedom. You're not shackled by it. He's no longer silent, but is surrounded in shouts of joy, shouts of deliverance. The happiness that, the happiness from forgiveness causes us to shout, sing, raise our hands. You wonder why people during worship raise their hands? Man, because there's freedom, because they've been forgiven, because there's joy and salvation. You ever wonder why? Maybe you come in here and like, wow, this is really, oh, wow, that's, you know? You go to a concert and you raise your hand, you're like, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. In worship, you're like, yeah, God, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The happiness from forgiveness causes us to shout, sing, raise our hands. And we can't do that in misery. The weight of shame and guilt would just keep us down shackled, closed up, silent, wasting away, groaning because something is trying to come out, but you won't. It won't. He is no longer wasting away and groaning, but preserved in God. The happiness from forgiveness is that in God there is freshness, a maintenance, a protection as opposed to wasting away in misery. He's no longer dried up in strength, but is in a hiding place in God's care. The happiness from forgiveness has us resting in God's care because misery makes us anxious. Misery makes us anxious, makes us worry, we're worry warts, worrisome. It keeps us in fear. It debilitates us from doing what we need to do. But happiness and forgiveness has us resting in God's care. While forgiveness isn't the only happiness we can experience, while forgiveness isn't the only happiness we can experience, because there are many, many joys, it is certainly a happiness that you do not want to miss out on. And I think that's why God has his word for us. And that's why we are reminded, because you don't want to miss out on it. We're too burdened. We're too anxious. We're we're so angry. We're so sad. We're so upset. We don't want time for anything. Let's not miss out on the happiness from forgiveness. Confession makes the way for forgiveness, and forgiveness brings us happiness. This is my last point, not yet ending almost, but last point. David's advice. Verse 6, 8 to 11, there's lots of good stuff here. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all of you upright in heart. David cannot get enough of the happiness that comes from being forgiven, of having the weight lifted. And he gives us a bunch of wisdom for the result of being forgiven. But I want to focus just on verse 10, because then I'll go longer. And I'm trying to stay at that 30-minute mark. I got you. 
So verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. The theme of the entire book of Psalms is actually the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And you can go back and listen to sermon number one by Pastor Phil, which he opens up the series in Psalm 1. With Psalm 32 in mind, the way of the wicked is to keep silent of one's sins, and the way of the righteous is to confess your sin and be forgiven. It's really that simple. The wicked don't confess their sin, they don't receive forgiveness. Therefore, they do not receive the happiness that comes from being forgiven. The righteous confess their sin, they receive forgiveness, and blessed is a man whose sins are forgiven. Charles Spurgeon, pastor and author, says, the lesson from this, the lesson from the whole is this, be honest. Sinner, may God make you honest. Do not deceive yourself. Make a clean breast of it before God. Have an honest religion or have none at all. Have a religion of the heart or else have none. Put aside the mere vestment and garment of piety and let your soul be right within. Be honest. As we end today's message, I want to close the gap even tighter in regards to the happiness that comes from being forgiven. Because, because the goal isn't just happiness, to be happy. The world teaches us to reach for pleasure, highs, and all happiness at all cost. Do you and put it on the gram. But this isn't what this is about. Esher, the, the word blessed in Hebrew, is happiness covered in mercy, joy, and is a longing granted. As people created in the image of God, as people created to worship God and be in relationship with him, there is happiness and forgiveness because of Jesus. He is the longing granted. He is what gives us mercy and joy. He is why we could receive forgiveness and be so blessed by it. He is our longing granted. I'm going to go back to verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When you go home and read the psalm again, because you were so inspired by the sermon to read it again, read those two verses and sit with this. Happiness was secured for us on the cross. David experienced the misery of his sin physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. But that misery doesn't have to remain with us. Jesus has taken the weight of misery, the consequences and heaviness upon himself on our behalf. Your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. The Lord counts no iniquity to us but counts the perfect life of his, sound on, of his son on us. And through the Holy Spirit, we're able to overcome the power of sin, no longer desiring and living in deceit, but able to live a life holy unto him. If you remember anything from this sermon, remember that, that truly happy are those who have been forgiven. So to all of us, or to all of those who are happy because you've forgiven, I invite you to stand to your feet. And for those who are probably, or maybe just hearing this for the first time, just walking into this, 
If you want to experience and receive that happiness that comes from being forgiven, stand to your feet as well. We're all invited. The invitation is open for all of us. Christ has already done the hard work. He's done the labor on your behalf. We just need to be honest before him. And another message is being honest with one another, but that's for another time. So as we sing this beautiful song, as we bask in God's mercy, let that honesty, let it, let it shake. Let it shake the bitterness. Let it shake the resentment. Let it shake the anger. Let it shake the walls. Let it shake the, well, you don't know me. Let it shake that. Let it shake it. Let Christ shake that. He is worthy. He is worthy. There's forgiveness. There's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's not. Please sit in that and rest in that. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspirechurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.